Welcome to Private Club Radio, your weekly source for industry education, news and discussion. Broadcasting from Tampa, Florida, ladies and gentlemen, here is your host, Gabriel Aloisi. Hey, hey, welcome to Private Club Radio, episode 116. We're chatting with Michael Ponzio, the executive chef at Medina Country Club up in Medina, Illinois, just outside Chicago. We're going to be talking about their culinary program, some really cool things they're doing, including, of course, the chicken coop, but other things you may or may not know that they're doing, like tapping maple trees for maple syrup there on site, the food truck they've got going on, and a lot more. It's a really fun interview with Michael. We haven't had too many executive chefs on this show, but he was really entertaining and just a pleasure to speak with. So that's coming up here in just a moment. So I want to just take a moment here and share something that I read with you because I think it's something that we all need to hear. It's a reminder that we all need from time to time. It's a quote that I've read a long time ago, but I just stumbled across it again. I was flipping open Damon John's new book, Rise and Grind, which is a really interesting and entertaining book talking about what entrepreneurs and folks who have really made a big impact in the world do in terms of, he calls it the grind, which is hustling and kind of getting out there and doing a little bit more than the next guy. But the book actually opens with a quote from the Dalai Lama and really loved this one. So I just want to read it for you. Man surprised me most about humanity because he sacrifices his health in order to make money. Then he sacrifices money to recuperate his health and then is so anxious about the future that he does not enjoy the present. The result being that he does not live in the present or the future. He lives as if he's never going to die and then dies having never really lived. Interesting one to reflect on there, I think. We're all so busy. I'm crazy busy. I have two little kids. I'm up here before the sunrise doing this podcast. I'm running a couple of businesses, including the new business, the third business, which is the Golf Radio Network that we're starting up here, really, really putting some time into. And and I think this is something that I at least lose sight of quite often. I'm hustling. I'm taking care of my customers. I'm taking care of my family. I'm taking care of my friends and really a lot of times not taking care of myself And I'm always chasing that next goal, that next accomplishment. And I think it's just so important for me, at least, to sit back from time to time and really enjoy life and really be grateful for the things that I have and for the people that I've been surrounded with. And I just thought I would share that quote with you because I thought, I'm sure there's a few other people listening to this show that are exactly in the same boat as me. And you know, we sacrifice so much to get ahead and to do things for others, but maybe we just don't take those moments to really soak it all in. So I hope you get a chance to do that this week. Maybe a little time to do some reflecting, take a walk by yourself or with people that you really love and just enjoy the moments that we have. All right. Well, the next moment we have is to bring Michael on from Medina. Let's get him on the show. Here's Michael Ponzio. 
Today's guest is Michael Ponzio, executive chef at Medina Country Club. Michael comes from a large Italian family. He grew up in a suburb just outside Chicago. So naturally, his first inspiration in the kitchen was his grandmother. She introduced Michael to classic homestyle cooking and later provided guidance and instruction in perfecting the basics. Cooking became not only his skill, but his passion as well. Michael went on to receive his education in culinary arts at Kendall College in Chicago. In 2002, he joined the award-winning team at Spiaggia as a sous chef working closely with Tony Mantuano. From there, Michael continued his journey in learning how to master the Chicago culinary scene at restaurants, including Volare, Sanitare, and Rosebud Restaurant Group, where he worked as the director of culinary operations. In 2011, Michael authored a cookbook, Chibo, Anybody's Guide to Italian Cooking. Michael has been at Medina for five years now, and he continues to develop the culinary program there. Michael, it is a pleasure to welcome you to Private Club Radio. Uh, thanks, Gabe. It's great to be on the show. Yeah. Well, first, I just want to talk to you about Medina's culinary program and some of the changes that are happening alongside your remodel of the club. Sure. Sure. We're, uh, we're having a lot of fun. We're doing a lot of great things over here. Perfect. Um, so, yeah, give us, give, us a, give us a little insight into some of the changes that you're making there. Sure. Um, in the last few years now, uh, we have actually rolled out, uh, we built a 900 square foot organic garden. We built a chicken coop where we have 40 hens that were USDA certified now for producing eggs and breeding. And we use those for our breakfast buffets. Um, we have a maple tapping program on property where this time of year now we're actually tapi- tapping the trees nice. and uh, making about 30 gallons of maple syrup, which is really cool for the Chicagoland area because I don't know if anyone's really doing that. Um, we have a food truck, which has been a ton of fun. Uh, and on top of that, we've, we've changed our whole culinary program over to really focusing on um, what I like to call real food, which is making sure that what we give the members is the best and the realest and, and not pumped up with a bunch of, of additives and just, just true, real, old-fashioned food. Yeah. It's got to be difficult as a, as a chef when you're trying to balance keeping your costs at a certain you know, certain percentage and then trying to give the members the best of the best. How do you go about doing that, Michael? Oh, I mean, you're absolutely right. It's, it's, it's a battle every day. You know, a lot of it has to do with building good relationships with the vendors. Um, we have, you know, the meat company I work with, for example, I have kind of a system with them where I'll, I'll take the exact center cut of something, but then I'll buy all the trim and use it in different outlets. So I'm still paying for the whole muscle cut price and I can kind of, you know, use it in other areas, whether it's a, a taco on the food truck or a sandwich at the pool mm-hmm. or, you know, steak on a salad. Um, so we do a lot of, a lot of thinking outside the box like that. The other things we do is we focus heavily on, on strong inventories and costing items out and portioning and weighing um, to make sure that, you know, the members are getting the value they pay for, but we're also making smart business decisions. Yeah. What was it like for you coming out of the Chicago food scene and then transforming into the club business? It's got to be a completely, <laughs> completely different gig. What was that like? My goodness. You know, it was such a culture shock. I knew <laughs> absolutely nothing about the club life. And, you know, to be honest with you, in, in the Chicago restaurant world, um, there's kind of a stigma around it that clubs, you know, clubs are where you go to retire. Right. And so I was a little hesitant. So when the Medina opportunity came up, I said, well, if I'm going to try it anywhere, I'm going to try it at Medina. Yeah. Um, 
And when I came and saw and started talking to the members and seeing the resources available, it just, it just completely opened up my eyes and, and got me so excited to do so many new things. Um, and from there, it's been just constant learning and challenging. And, and in the end, I've ended up learning more here in the five years I've been here than my entire life cooking because there's so many different opportunities to learn. Yeah. I bet your range has expanded too, I would imagine. Oh, quite a bit. I mean, I was mostly steakhouses, uh, Italian restaurants and breakfast before. And now, I mean, we've, we've, you know, tapped into the, the smoking market and souving and things like that, where, um, it's just been constant challenges and growth and learning. It's been really wonderful. Yeah, I bet. I bet. Totally. Um, so have you found that it's pretty, re- it's a pretty rewarding business to be in and, and have you actually reached back out into the culinary scene to maybe, uh, snatch up a little talent for yourself there at your team? Oh, absolutely. You know, my, um, my executive sous chef here now, he came from restaurants that we worked at together too before. Um, Michael, he's, he's fantastic. And he, he was the executive chef of the Rosebud Steakhouse. Um, and now he's over here and same thing. He has the exact same experience, um, or has had the same experiences that I have in, in terms of getting excited and learning and growing and, and my kitchen managers from restaurants and some of my cooks and, you know, the team is just, they're, they're, they've completely drank the Kool-Aid. They are all in and they love the whole, all the craziness. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I love this uh, maple syrup program you've got going. So when you said 30 gallons of maple syrup, is that throughout the season? Is that per week or per month? How does that all work? So out here, we found we only have about six weeks to tap uh, where we can actually really be pulling, you know, milking the trees, if you would. (laughs) Um, It takes about 38 to 40 gallons of sap to make one gallon of maple syrup. So if you think about it, that's, that's quite a bit that we're pulling in um, yeah. because it's only 2% sugar. So my team's out there um, and, you know, even today they're out gathering right now and, you know, they'll come in with two fifty-five gallon drums of tree sap from all the, the collections and we'll boil it down in the kettles and um, out of those two drums, we'll maybe get three gallons of syrup. Wow. That's so it's, it's a short window. So we, we tap early and we, the minute the trees start budding, the syrup gets bitter and we can't do it anymore. Right. Well, I know there's, you know, for clubs out there who think like, what is Michael and his team doing up there tapping trees and making their own maple syrup? And, you know, what's the ROI on this or, you know, yada, yada, yada. What, what do you say, you know, like, wh- why is that so valuable to you as a brand for the club to actually be able to do things like that? You know, it, it tells a story. I mean, Medina was built around families and culture and community. And, and back when it was founded, it wasn't a golf centric club golf was a big part of it and it's definitely grown um but now when i do something like this and we're out there every day and the members actually come out and do it with us when we kick off the season we do a big maple syrup harvest brunch and they come tap a few trees with us um it's it's a certain sense of pride and care and and knowing that we have something in these gates that no one else can get in the outside world is special yeah Totally. Do you, do you find that they're like sharing those experiences? Like, are they snapping pictures and telling their friends about the stuff that you guys are doing over there? I can't tell you how many times I'm at a table in, especially in the golf season and someone has a guest in. And the first thing they mention is the fact that we tap the trees. Yeah. <laughs> so cool. And it, it's fun because it's a fun kind of conversation because they laugh and they go, Oh my God, he's nuts. He even taps the trees here to make maple syrup. Can you believe that? <laughs> and it just stems into this whole great conversation. The chickens do the same thing. Yeah. Hey, he's crazy. He's got 40 chickens over there. Get out there getting eggs. Well, it's, it's, it's fun. It's, it's love. And, and, you know, the chickens, for example, we have kids 
the parents bring their kids here. The kids are down there feeding the chickens from the garden. It's just an amazing community experience that's all becoming. Have you learned, by the way, have you learned anything about chickens or the habits of chickens or anything that you could share with us that, that the average common folk doesn't know much about? It's, it's actually hysterical. So when we, when we hatched our, our, our second batch of chicks um, and we went to introduce them into the chicken coop, uh, one of the women here who was part of the project has chickens at home. So she was telling me about it and we had to build a cage inside the coop to get the, the chicks in. And then slowly as they got bigger, introduced a little area so that they could sneak out, but the hens can't get in and they can get safe. And it took weeks for them to actually become part of the the brood. Mm. Um, because if we just threw them in, they get pecked alive and beaten up. It, it's it's like a little high school click. Oh, wow. Pretty funny. Yeah. I wouldn't have guessed that either. That's crazy. Um, well, let's talk about the food truck. So what types of things and what types of events are you pulling this thing up for? Is it there every day? Do you bring it just for the special events? How does it all work, Michael? So we use it right now with the two new outlets we built, the golf learning center and the paddle tennis facility. We use the food truck as the main food source. So that's out there every day. Um, and then we also use it for special events. So whether it's you know, uh, a big golf outing or 4th of July or anything like that. We do things from, you know, steak tacos and burgers to we're deep frying giant buffalo turkey legs. Um, we have a ton of fun out of it, and the menu changes constantly. Um, it's not just one set item. One event, we were doing deep fried Snickers out of it. One event, we were making homemade donuts. Well, um, so all health food, it sounds like, huh? Burritos. <laughs> Yeah, I, there, there's actually quite a, we, we do do quite a bit of the healthier stuff too, depending sure. on what the event is. So if it's more of a carnival theme, we end up going funnel cakes, donuts, things like that. But um, we've done smoothies and healthy blended drinks out of there. We've done healthier side things. We've done fish fries. We've done, I mean, it, it's, it's a mobile full kitchen and it's really an amazing tool. Yeah. Do you actually have like a menu printed for it or do you do a chalkboard? How does it work with, with, with letting folks so know what's we have there? a We have uh, a small menu. I, I say small, but it's 11 by 17 uh, that we put in the window. And then we also have a TV screen that we can actually put the menu on. So another, so aside from the order window, next to that is another window that lifts up and there's a TV in there, um, a 40-inch TV where we can actually have the menu going. So we change the menu constantly, use that often too, especially for events. Oh, that's pretty cool. I bet members love that because it's like, you know, it's nice to be able to go and just experience something new or to see something in a new light or, you know, just to try something that you haven't tried before. And I got, I got to imagine that that keeps them coming back day after day. Oh, absolutely. And you know what? It's Instagrammable. Yeah. Right. It's that famous well term. I mean, yeah, we use it for the junior program to feed the kids twice a week uh, in the golf season and they're all taking pictures and posting it. Yeah. That's awesome. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, let, when the members do the marketing for you, <laughs> that's that's the best way to go about it for sure. There's no greater feeling than seeing them proud of what we're doing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's got to instill that that pride for sure, as you mentioned there. I mean, uh, you know, it, it just it's just something you can't get anywhere else, and that's what makes us the club's experience special in general. I love that. What what gets yeah, you absolutely. what gets you motivated to to get up every day and do your job? Um. Well, I'll tell you, I, what gets me motivated is just, is the learning. I, I am a constant, constant student. I study, you know, we'll, we'll be standing in the kitchen just talking about goofy ideas. And then next thing you know, I'm up all night reading about it. The next day I have stuff in and we're trying it and we're playing with it. Um, the cooks here are a lot of the inspiration with that too, because they, they, we do a lot of throwdowns that we call them. 
um, where, you know, we'll just say, Hey guys, let's look at 20 different sandwiches and they'll all put up ideas and then we start building. So it, the environment here in my team is just so amazing that it gets me excited to come and learn and teach and grow and, and produce. That's awesome. Now, have you done any of those throwdowns that the members can actually attend and maybe sample them and, and cast their votes on any of those ideas you guys are coming up we, with? Every fall we do a chili cook-off. Um, so, you know, at the fall fest and, and the chefs do it and the members all vote, but that's the only one because the rest of these are, are for menu items. Yeah. So I kind of like to keep it internal sure. until we work the kinks out. Sounds like it could be fun. It could be fun though to get them involved <laughs> from, from time to time. Oh, anyways. absolutely. Yeah. That's cool that you do it so often. I mean, that's, that's I'd love to go to a, a, a work environment like that where we're just trying things out. It's pretty cool. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta run, run inclines a little more than you'd like to. But. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How about outside the club, outside the club industry, where are you drawing your inspiration from? Uh, my peers, I have a lot, a lot of chef friends, uh, because we all, you know, the age range of, of the chefs in Chicago right now, we all came up together. Yeah. So all the big names, we, we've, a lot of us have worked together at one place or another. And then, um, I have my mentors that I still go to constantly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What would, what would be like one piece of advice for someone who's, who's thinking about maybe taking a dive into the club world or someone who's just starting out, uh, maybe deciding between a country club experience and, you know, the, a restaurant scene or a city experience, what, what would be your advice to them? You know, it, it's, it's kind of a hard piece of advice to say because I feel like there's a lot of layers. I always tell people, I said, if, if you want to develop and learn, but also be taught, then a club is a great industry for you. Yeah. Because, you know, my, my first conversation with every member I met here when I started was, where do you like to eat? Have you eaten anywhere great lately? Um, so I can learn their tastes and their habits and what they were into. And, you know, if, if you can listen and adapt and, and become you know, truly that the, the nurture and the provider for the members, then this is the, the place for you. Yeah. And if you want to be, you know, just serving tourists in and out, you know, hustle and bustle every single day, then restaurants are your thing. That's interesting. I've, I've never thought of it that way, but you've got to balance, I suppose you've got to balance your own as a chef, what you want to do and, and the, your taste versus what the members really want. And that, that's got to be a, a tough balancing act sometimes. Absolutely. You know, but I, there's, there's a mutual level of, of, of trust that's built. And, you know, when I first started some of the dishes I, I do now, I never could have done when I started because they didn't know me enough to, to trust me to try them. And now, you know, I can come out to the table with something absolutely off the wall and, you know, and, and they will try it at least. Right. Which is great. That's cool. They got that trust that you built that trust <clears throat> with them. It's special. And yeah, you can't get that anywhere else. Now, uh, what are, what are some of the more interesting things you've learned to cook based on member suggestions or things that they liked that they told you? Um, I have one member that loves Brazilian food. Um, so he's really pushed me to make feijoadas and things like that. And, uh, he asked me one day, he said, you know, do you cook Brazilian? I said, no, I don't really know anything about it. And, he brought me a cookbook and then started telling me about places to go. So I started going around and trying and nice. then I invited him and his wife in to eat and uh, he's actually Brazilian. So I invited him and his wife in to eat and I made them this big meal and said, all right, tell me what I'm doing wrong. And, <laughs> uh, and it was fantastic. That's it was awesome. a great learning experience. And, and we kind of grew together where, am I a Brazilian chef? No, but I can make, you know, a few of the staples from what I understand really well. Right. Yeah. So, well, I, which I never would have do, never would have done that work in an Italian restaurant. Right. 
Yeah, it, it's amazing. You get you you've probably <clears throat> developed an incredible range. I love picanha myself. So I'm a big Brazilian steakhouse type fan. And I love those little breads they give you with like the cheese inside. I think they're like yuca yeah. bread or something. Yeah, Fantastic. We made those for an event uh, a few months ago, actually. Yeah, it's awesome. I, I, I usually go for my, that's usually my birthday spot. I'll go to a Brazilian steakhouse for my birthday. That's my thing. Just beat yourself <laughs> up for an hour. Yeah, too. pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> I always feel bad walking out of there, but it felt good going in. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, it's it's so evident the passion that you have for the culinary arts, Michael. I really appreciate you coming on the show today to chat with us about it. If people want to find out more about you and what you're doing at Medina, how do they go about doing that? Um, well, I have, I have my own website, michaelponzio.com. Also on Instagram, um, I constantly post my food and ideas and what we're doing. So um, either on my Instagram stories or on my page. So that's always a good reference too. Awesome. I'll definitely give you a follow and I know a lot of our listeners will as well. Michael, thank you so much for joining us today on Private Club Radio. Uh, Gabe, thank you so much. It was a pleasure to be here. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Private Club Radio. If you're like me, you're probably a little hungry right now. I'm going to go get a little breakfast myself because it's still early. Sun's still not out yet, but it's coming up soon. I'm going to get a little breakfast, get my little one to school and then take on the day. I'm going to do a little grinding as Damon John would say. Hope you guys have a wonderful rest of your week. And until next time, here's to your membership success. Private Club Radio is brought to you by Concert Golf Partners, helping to preserve and enhance private golf and country clubs. Concert Golf has the capital, expertise and private club hospitality experience to help upscale private clubs achieving long-term success and membership growth. For 25 years, Concert Golf has allowed private club members to focus on simply enjoying their club. Visit ConcertGolfPartners.com to learn more about the recapitalization process.